born in Chapel Hill. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one again. And if you don't have one, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not have a Bible of your own, please take that one and keep it as your own. Uh, We had a lot of fun this past week. That's one of the... One of those things that we can report from VBS and say what a huge success because we had kids who don't have Bibles getting so excited about the word and asking for Bibles and we were able to to provide them with Bibles and they got to take those home and dig into those and so this is good and uh, there was so much more that came out of VBS as well. And I just want to offer my thanks as well to all of you who participated in making VBS such a successful week. We did have at least two kids that we know of give their lives to Christ this week. And what a beautiful thing that is. God was moving all week and it was just a delight to see it, to hear it, to experience it. And, and uh, even just, just from my perspective of working here and being in my office and, and being excited about when the kids are transitioning back and forth and I'd step out into the hall and high five kids as they go by and just be a part of all that energy. And then the afternoon would come around and it was like dead quiet and boring. It was just rough. It was a really, really good week. And many other things happened um, as well. This group of kids uh, raised money for the Sheridan story. They collected hundreds of school supplies. That's what's over here on the stage uh, for Arrive Ministries for refugees moving into the Twin Cities um, to help their kids get started this fall in school. Uh, And so it was just beautiful. A lot of really good things happened. A lot of prayers were answered. Um, Just a a reminder about uh, what's going to happen in this service. Um, Once we wrap up the message, we're going to go into a song, another worship song, which we've had just a wonderful time of worship this morning. And um, then after that song, we'll just transition right into the annual meeting. Um, Please stay. Please stay. And join us in that celebration and in that that time of discussion and prayer and uh, just lifting our future up to God. If you need to go, if you absolutely have to go, that's fine. Um, You can go during that last song. After you have put your offering in the plate, then you can go. And uh, (laughs) just kidding. Um, So uh, one question before we dive back into the word this morning. And this has to do with the, the picture that's up on the screen right now. How are your neighbors? How are your neighbors? How are they doing this summer? How has God used you to take steps towards your neighbors this summer? What things are you putting into practice that we talked about this spring as we worked through the whole Jerusalem mandate, house fires, picture, that vision that God has given us? How are things working out for you? Keep pressing into your neighborhood. Keep making yourself available. Keep looking for those opportunities that we have all around us. Um, it was fun yesterday. This was this was one of the fun parts of yesterday. Yesterday was the the season-ending soccer tournament, and so stood out in that weather yesterday. And I coached six games yesterday, and uh, so I'm I'm working hard on my farmer's tan, and and uh, just was just fried yesterday, and that wind was blowing, and woke up this morning, and my eyes were all gooped shut, and it was just it was rough. It was a tough day, um, but it was just this reminder of those opportunities around us. Talking to parents after the game and kids after the game who 
who wanted to know, coach, what are you doing in the fall? Are you going to coach out here again in the fall? We want our kids to be on your team and kids going, what are you doing? Come back, come back to Lakeville and coach over here and having already now setting up play dates with the kids and our kids and not just for the sake of that, but so that I can keep the connection with those parents and all that kind of stuff. There's just, there's opportunity all around us. And we felt it in our neighborhood this week as the police showed up down the street and, and took away the, the father in a house down the street and just realized, man God's got us here for a reason we've got to be light in our neighborhood and don't let go of that don't let go of that again it was not some study that we did and then moved on to something else um, this, this is intended to change our lives and the way that we look at how God has wired and equipped us to be light and salt in our neighborhood so how are your neighbors stay on it lean in press in be a light in your neighborhood. All right, last week we talked about God's big view. And we asked the question of how can we see God's view? How can we see life from his view? And we talked about a number of different elements of that. How he's created us to be light and salt, preserving his kingdom here on earth. We talked about going back to the beginning in Genesis 1. And, and what God said about being fruitful and about subduing the earth. We talked about sharing God's vision for the good of all people, of all those that he's created. We talked about God's view of the gospel and how that includes the restoration of all things. Not just our salvation, not just that ticket to get to heaven, but how God has now given us the task of restoring and renewing all things. We talked about seeing worship from God's view. We talked about being stewards of everything that God has given us. We talked about sharing God's view of our calling in life. And we talked about our universal calling, our particular calling, and our unique calling. And if those don't make sense to you, go back and listen to the sermon from last week. And you'll understand what we were talking about. A few weeks back, we looked at two models for ministry. One model that represents really the way things are in this culture, in America, and the, how the church carries out its ministry in terms of impact. And we talked about another one, a model that, that we really ought to have. And so we looked at the model that we do have far too often, that is to recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of church-paid workers, of the professional Christians, and how that is absolutely not the model that God has given us in his word. How it's wrong to look at it that way and to look at that 5% of our lives and say, well, this is, this is time for spiritual things, and the church is going to try and, and manipulate that little, little portion of our lives and draw us into doing religious things. We talked about the model that we need, and that is simply as a church, we're to equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their lives, in all their lives. And I hope you're seeing that. You're seeing that that is my passion right now. That is the perspective that I have, and that perspective is changing and growing. It would be very easy for me to stay focused on the first model. And just go with that, give you lots of opportunities and, and, and put some guilt on you. I could even do that really easily and just say, you need to be doing more religious things. And here's how that's going to work. Come and join me because I'm doing lots of religious things. It's not what I'm after. God didn't put you where I am. He put you where you are. And he's called you to shine, to flourish wherever he has placed you Every moment of every day. And he's called me not to recruit you, but to equip you. You've already been called. 
God has called you to his universal calling, to his particular calling, and to his unique calling for your life. Your work for today's conversation and focus is your calling. Your neighborhood is your calling. Your school is your calling. Your family is your calling. Your marriage is your calling. Your church is your calling. Your walk with Christ right now at this moment today is your calling. All of us have been called. Every single one of us. Pray that we together grow in this in understanding this. And pray that my ability to equip you as a church keeps growing. All right, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's get back to our study of this incredible letter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're talking right now about our work because Peter is addressing servants and their masters, a working class and their employers. And while this is not an absolutely perfect parallel to you and your job, there's an awful lot that God's showing us in this passage about our work so we're going to learn some more from it today. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. This is what Peter writes. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right, how many of you have ever worked with a time clock in your life? Have had to go and punch the clock? I remember those days. Uh, I don't do it here. Um, Here we have something that I call the dot. And there's a little magnetic board in the office, and and each of our names as staff are there, and we have these little magnetic dots, and it's in or out or what time you're going to return. And so we live by the dot, and I always threaten the staff when they're in and they're working. I look at the board and say, you know, you're not getting paid for this. Because you haven't moved your dot. Um, I've worked with time clocks and know that pressure of, of making sure that you punch in at the right time and you punch out at the right time. I know that panic of getting partway through the day and going, I forgot to punch in. And then having to talk to a manager and get it all straightened out and all that kind of stuff. Um, the time clock. The time clock. This morning I called the message uh, the time clock perspective. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what happens when we punch in at the start of the day and how that affects us. There's, a, there's something significant about that place. And I'm seeing it more and more. What happens to you at the time clock each morning? What happens when your spouse is off to their job and your work at home begins for the day? What happens when you arrive for your first class of the day? What happens when you get to that volunteer opportunity, that committee meeting, that ministry event that you're a part of? What happens at the start? What happens at the beginning of those things? 
I want to talk about three tools that can affect the start of our days and can affect our time clock perspective. First tool that I want to talk about is our resume. Our resume. Every time we start a new work day, we really ought to begin that day with a quick review of our resume. A quick review of who we are and what we bring to this job. There's a lot that can be gained there. There are several biblical highlights of our resumes that come to mind. And this is not an exhaustive list that I'm going to talk about. Um, We've talked already about our identity. This is something that should come to mind at the time clock every day. Our identity. Now, do I need to go back and do 1 Peter 2.9 again? You should know 1 Peter 2.9 by now. Inside and out. This is who we are. Do we need to talk about being light and salt again? No, yes. But we're not going to do it again this time. This is who we are. This is who we are right now. And it's who we are tomorrow morning when you punch in for work. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is what's on our resume. Peter also reminds us of a few other relevant facts about who we are and what's on that resume. Back in verse 16 of 1 Peter 2, Peter reminds us that even in the midst of the political power and corruption that may be around us, we are free. Go back and look at verse 16. He says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In the book of Romans, Paul speaks frequently of our freedom. We have been set free by Christ, he says. He affirms that over and over in his letters to the churches, the many letters that he wrote. As an employee, as a homemaker, as a student, as a worker of any kind, you, as a follower of Christ, are free. You are free. It's on your resume. That's who you are. No matter what your project list for the day looks like, no matter how little power you seem to have or feel like you have, no matter how beat down you feel, no matter how dependent on your income you may feel, you are free. Okay, why? How? Because God has set you free. And he is your perfect father and your king And he has everything that you need and more. He will provide for you. He has ultimate and limitless power. And you belong to him. And you are free. And you can maybe imagine how encouraging this could have been to to someone in Peter's audience as he writes to servants, to those who may have been sold into slavery, to those who may have had to sell themselves into slavery. What a message this is. This is strong. This is powerful. And so encouraging for them. Also on our resumes is the fact that although we are free, we are also servants. Peter defines us. He says live in verse 16. He says live as servants of God. We're servants by choice of the living God. He is our loving father, our perfect shepherd, and our almighty king. And we serve him by choice. Our service to God is eternal, and that puts our service to our bosses into perspective. Or at least it ought to. That's what Peter's talking about here. There is no way that Peter could have instructed the servant class in the church to subject themselves to corrupt masters if this wasn't true. But their identity was found in Christ. Their allegiance was to God, and their freedom had already been purchased for them through Jesus Christ. 
That ought to put things in a perspective for us when it comes to our employers. Peter adds a couple more things to our resume that I think are profound. He also says that we are healed. Verse 24, by his wounds, you have been healed. Why would Peter put this in this passage? Why would he say that? Let me ask some questions to clarify why I think it's, it's in there. These, this is just some of how I've processed this. Um, have you ever gone through something really hard in your life? And your job ends up becoming your coping mechanism. To, to stop thinking about and, and reacting to and feeling that tough thing that's going on in life. You're like, I just, I just want to get to work and, and let that be my distraction. Let that be the thing that I focus on. And, and let that be the thing that, that takes care of all this anxiety or pain or that kind of stuff. It just numbs it for me. Have you ever struggled in some of your life's roles like husband, father, Have you struggled in a role other than employee in your life and you're feeling inadequate in those areas? I've had bad days as a husband. And on those days, I feel completely inadequate. I feel broken as a husband. Um, Have you felt that temptation then to go to work where you may be really good at what you do and let that just build yourself back up? Man, it'd be easy for me to do here. I could just come into church and do religious things and feel really good about myself and forget all about the things that that hurt because I've blown it at home. Is your job ever filled a void in your life for you? Has it been the thing that heals that void? Have you turned to your work for that? Let me remind you of this. The wounds that Jesus endured are completely adequate for the healing of any wound that you or I might have in our personal lives, in our home life, in our marriages, wherever. You and I have been healed through the wounds of Jesus Christ. Peter says you have been healed, past tense. That's where our healing comes from. Those wounds that we receive at work, like being overlooked or treated unfairly or excluded. Yes, the wounds of Jesus Christ have healed those as well. I think maybe this is what Peter means. This is the reason why Peter puts in this statement. You have been healed. Finally, we have this on our resume. We are followers of Jesus. In verse 21, Peter points out that we can follow in the footsteps of the one who endured more injustice than you or I will ever experience. He left us an example of how to respond to the unfair nature of the world around us. In verse 25, then, Peter reminds us that We now have the one that we are to follow in our lives. He's there with us. Our great shepherd is there. He's watching out for us. His love and his approval and his his provision are enough for us. They're sufficient for us. We just have to follow him and take on his yoke 
be united with him. Uh, I could go on about our resume, uh, but these are some things that I think we ought to keep in mind um, as we start each work day. This is what's on our resume. This is who we are, and this is what we bring to that job, to that workplace. We have nothing to prove. We're not fighting to, to establish some sense of identity at work. We already have one, and it can't be surpassed by anything that this world has to offer. Tool number two, the second tool that I want to acknowledge is what I'll call our job description. And I want to jump outside First Peter for just a moment and look at one verse. There are many, many places that I go to in the Bible to find direction for how we live our lives, including at work. But this one jumps out at me as being very relevant to our workplaces. This is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Very well-known verse, and it says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now, this isn't your to-do list for the day. These aren't projects. These are values. And I want us to try to imagine the impact that these values could have on the way that we do our work. Let's take a brief look at them. What does God require of us? Value number one, justice. And if you're like me, the definition of justice that comes to mind when you hear that word has everything to do with me getting what I want or what I think I deserve. That's what I think of when I think justice. I should have an equal shot at everything at work. I deserve the status and the power that I think I have earned. And if someone captures that position that I thought was mine or gets that raise that I was most definitely qualified for, justice is obviously not being served. I could do a whole study on the subject of justice, but I won't go any deeper with it this morning. God's justice is something different than ours. Christ saw justice differently. And if you go back into his teachings, all through the Gospels, Jesus presents this picture of justice that is very different than the one that comes from a selfish perspective. It's an amazing picture. It's disturbing, but it's, it's so clearly kingdom-centered. Look into Jesus' perspective on justice. Value number two that comes out of this verse, kindness. God is asking us here not just to be kind, but to love kindness. To love kindness. There are, are translations of the Bible that take that word and translate it into the word mercy. Do you love mercy at work? Or when someone makes a mistake, do you rejoice in them getting what they deserve for that mistake? He's asking us to love kindness, to love mercy at work. Value number three, humility. In this verse, it says, walk humbly with your God. God didn't put us in our jobs for the sake of seeing us advance and be the world's definition of successful. We've been called throughout the Bible to humility. And we've been given the example of Christ who humbled himself even to the point of death to be our guide throughout the day. So do this. Just picture God walking through your day at work with you every step of the way right by your side. He's there. Walk humbly with him throughout your day. 
I'm uh, accustomed to the kinds of meetings in my world that result in action items. As a result of what we've talked about or what we're facing, here's what we're going to do. Here are our action items. So that's tool number three. These are the things that clarify the path forward for us. How will we respond in a way that brings flourishing? What will our action steps be? Well, Peter covered this too. Here are three things. There are more, but here are three things that stood out to me from our passage in First Peter today. First of all, along with the servant class in the first century, I will strive to subject myself to my boss. There's a tall order. My job is my unique calling, and God wants to use me to bring flourishing there. So I will do what is asked of me, and I'll do it well. I'm not talking about immoral things or unethical things. Obviously, God's not asking us to do that, but he is, he is asking me to do my very best. He's asking you to do your very best, no matter what you think of your boss. We don't, if, if we don't like the person that we're working for, we do not have the right to just give them half the job, to just do it part way. It goes completely against what God is saying here. I will do what I'm given to the best of my ability. Secondly, I will do this subjecting of myself with respect. That's from verse 18. No matter how just or unjust my boss is, I will subject myself to them with respect, not with the intent to make them look bad or with a fake and phony attitude, with respect. That means that when I was working at Home Depot and I hung up on my manager, (laughs) that was wrong. (laughs) It was not the right thing to do. It was not a respectful thing to do. That's to be our response to our bosses. Subject ourselves, line ourselves up with their given authority with respect. Thirdly, I have the action item of endurance. That's from verse 19. And that may be the hardest thing that we've looked at yet. In this culture, we feel somehow empowered by having the option of just leaving and getting another job when we don't like our boss. Based on what Peter's telling us here, we might be getting it wrong. We're to endure. To endure. And we'll look more in the future here at why and how Christ's endurance sets us up to follow his example. How do you start your work day? If you consider the tools you've been given, we have the tools of our resume, our identity. We have the tool of our job description, modeling the values of justice, mercy, and humility. And we have the tool of our action items, subjecting ourselves to authority, doing that respectfully and enduring in where God, in what God has placed us in for as long as he says. And I just ask that you challenge yourself this week at the start of every day. What is your time clock perspective? God has called us to our work and let's discover what he has for us there. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and take our offering for the morning. And then we'll sing and we'll transition right into our annual celebration and meeting. Please stick around for that. Let's pray together as the ushers come. Father, I do love the fact that you have, you have brought purpose to every moment of our lives. 
And if we just look, if we just dig into what you're saying in your word, what you're, what you're guiding us to through your spirit, I think we'll begin to see the significance of every moment that you've given us. And I pray, Father, that for all of us as we start our days, as we start our work days, that we would find you there. That you would give us new perspective, fresh perspective. That we will indeed clock in as the people you created us to be. And we will bring flourishing wherever you've placed us. Thank you for what you're going to do in and through us, in our jobs. We lift that up to you. We lift our roles up to you and ask for your will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.